0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phileas Club. In this show, what we do is that we get people from different parts of the world and ask them, hey, how's it going? I'm doing okay. How about you? What do you think okay means? What is in your surroundings the meaning of those words? Okay, I might be overdoing it a little bit, but hopefully what we get as a result is that we get people who have different opinions and different views and different backgrounds, and so we get different takes on what's been happening in the world. And today, I'm very glad because I'm welcoming back two guests that I uh, very much enjoy. And, oh, hi, I'm Patrick Beja, by the way. I live in Finland, uh, but I'm from France originally. And uh, I'm going to start with the elder in the group, uh, if you take into account the number of years that they haven't been on the show. And that's Brecky. Brecky Thomason hi, from guys. Sweden is here. Yes, indeed. We we were talking before the show. Five years?
1: How? Yeah, it's, it's been about five years. Yeah, I, I've taken um, a sabbatical from podcasting in general. Um, I had a, a lot of issues with uh, stress and so on back in 2017, 2018, and uh, decided podcasts had to go so I could focus on work and uh, other projects. And I've never really gotten back into podcasting. So this this might be the thing that kicks it all back into, uh, back into a habit.
0: Well, I would be extremely honored if that that happened. Uh, but so you were like, you know what? Pandemic, general stress and anxiety. I'm just going to go back on on a podcast. That's going to be fine. And why not? Why to not to talk about the worst things that are happening in
1: the world? I mean, Hopefully. if if this doesn't uh, if this doesn't get the podcast juices flowing in my body again, then what could? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very true. Um, we are also welcoming someone who's been on the show a little bit uh, uh, later than 2016. Gunnar was with us in 20 in 2020, actually, just over a year ago. Uh, and you're from the U.S., from Minneapolis. How's it going, Gunnar?
2: yes hello welcome uh it's going it's going we're just starting (laughs) to get cold and the sun sets at like four o'clock in the afternoon now so you know we're adjusting (laughs) i hate that so
0: much you know i'm it, it was never like that before before i lived in like the the northern reaches like beyond the wall Right. Uh, Brecky, of course, (laughs) knows this very well. But uh, (laughs) for me, it's very new. It's been a couple of years. And the first year, it's like an anomaly. And you're like, oh, yeah, it was it was weird. That was weird what happened, wasn't it? But after a couple of years, you're like, shit, it keeps coming back. (laughs) Like every year you get four (laughs) hours of sunlight in in the day for a couple of months. It's a little bit hard, to be honest. Um, It's crazy. Have to yeah, take especially for violence. those of
1: us who uh, who have uh, day jobs and so on because you, you're on your way to work and it's still dark yes. and then you're sitting at work and then you get maybe a couple of hours of sunlight during lunch but yeah. you're inside so you can't enjoy them and then by the time you're on your way home, it's dark again.
0: Exactly. That's it. Oh, by the way, sorry if you hear uh, construction work in the house. There's stuff happening uh, in the attic with uh, very old, like, toilet seats being cut into pieces because they were stored there and then they closed stuff and we can't get them out uh and that was decades ago yes it's a weird house that we live in those are the treasures you find (laughs) modern (laughs) problems
1: requiring modern solutions
0: (laughs) that's like seesaws um so yeah that's basically what's happening to me as well i'm like well i work from home but i get the kid to daycare and it's dark, and then I get home, I work all day, and then I go get the kid from daycare, and it's dark. I remember, like, a couple of years ago, I went there, and it was light when I got him, and I was, I was so happy. It's like, <laughs> yes, life starts again. It's, it's really yeah. funny. Um, but, yeah, so, Gunner, hi, welcome. Welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome
2: back to the show. Thank you, thank you.
0: So... What should we start with? Who should we start with? I feel like the thing we're all going to have an opinion on um, is the thing that is the main topic of conversation, I think, for me. And that's, guess what? The pandemic! COVID is back, (laughs) baby! Um, So we're experiencing the fifth wave in France. I guess it's the fifth wave everywhere Um, in France and in Finland. And I'm not going to spend too much time um, discussing it because it's the same, basically, as most of the other waves, except... um So a a month ago, I was considering going to France for the holidays, for for Christmas, and I asked on Twitter, um, hey, so how's it going now? Of course, we don't know how it's going to be going in a couple of months, but uh, what would you say the situation is like now so that I get a a little bit of a picture from the ground? And most people were like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Everything, it's almost normal, essentially. Uh, No problem. We're just living life. Uh, Of course, we have to wear masks and a lot of people are vaccinated. But, yeah, it's almost normal. And uh, within a month, it completely changed. Um, And it, it changed in, I think, one thing that a lot of people are not getting is that it changed in the most superficial way it could in the case of a global deadly pandemic. Um, Meaning um, the vaccination rate is pretty good in France. I think we're at like 75% uh, for the whole population and something like 85, 90% for the eligible population that have like two doses. And some are getting the third dose now the booster. So the result is that there is a lot of positive testing um and some impact on the hospital not negligible. I think it's also going to get worse, but it's manageable and people aren't dying as much of course. Like the among vaccinated populations the the even getting into the hospital is rare and uh, fatal cases are extremely rare. So the most like the, 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 as in is the case everywhere um the real impact is on unvaccinated people, uh, even though of course they're not the only people who are getting sick. But so it feels a little bit, because I feel like we have the same com- context and metrics that we did during the previous waves, meaning we're looking at the number of cases and given the amount of, vaccination we got it's not as relevant because a lot of people are being tested positive but they're vaccinated so it's not a big deal for most of them and we're still looking at the number of cases and it's very much anxiety inducing (laughs) even though the the consequences aren't as dire and that's not to say that this isn't serious and that oh everything's fine we're you know things are we're done with the pandemic or anything like that we actually are leaning towards not going to France now, even though we very, very, very much want to. Um, But it's probably best to wait. So we are taking it seriously, and I am taking it seriously. But it's a little bit of a different context. So um, I I wonder, let's go to Brecky. I wonder how things are going in, in Sweden, because famously Sweden, or at least that's our impression, Sweden was like yeah, fuck it, we won't vaccinate people, everyone will get it. And it'll be fine Then everyone will get it and and will be, you know, immunized. Um, So I'm not sure how things are going over there now.
1: Well, Sweden is uh, interesting in many ways. I mean, you you probably recognize this from from Finland, Uh, we, we kind of do social distancing by default. (laughs) <laughs> um, we, <laughs> um swedes swedes are not a uh, huggy feely kind of a people so you know we even waiting for the bus we we still st- social distance from each other we stand two meters apart so no matter if there's a <laughs> pandemic or not um there was never really any mask enforcement or anything like that um swedish government has um a very limited um Uh, range of things that they can do when it comes to limiting the amount of things that people are allowed to do and not allowed to do. And they they did implement a couple of um, specific pandemic laws, but mostly it's been um, private companies, you know, restaurants, um, uh, businesses, um, shops and so on, um, trying to enforce, you know, a maximum amount of people allowed in the store at any given time and so on. Um, but as the vaccinations began to roll out, they were actually surprisingly su- uh, successful. Um, about 75% of the population now has two doses. Um, some have three, and uh, they're actually discussing it oh, right sorry, now did whether you say or not
0: se- 75. So it's comparable to France.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think um the the latest number I saw. Uh, I'm looking at it right now from Reuters is uh, 74.1% of the country's population. Um, but the, the amount of new cases um, is holding steady at about a thousand a day and uh, the amount of deaths is low. It's you know uh, somewhere in the five to ten per day at the moment. So for a, a country with 10, 000, 10 million people, that's um, not good, but it's definitely not bad. It, it could mm. be a lot worse but they're they're discussing now whether or not to uh, enforce a, a third shot for all above eighteen. it's It's recommended, but they're they're considering whether or not to make it um, mandatory? well, it's it's never going to be mandatory, of course. but it's it's going to be, you know, a part of the um part of the official rollout of the vaccine. um it's it's been, you know, you get, you get. Uh, I'm. I'm holding up my card now from uh, from the vaccine. You know, you get your first shot, and then uh, you get your second shot. But now, now they're talking about whether to enforce the third shot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're also talking about whether or not to um, uh, allow nightclubs and so on to demand proof of vaccination for people entering. That's that's not been something that's been done previously. Um, th- they haven't been allowed to ask, but now they're negotiating whether or not they should be allowed to ask. But it's only very specifically for nightclubs, not restaurants or shops and so Mm -hmm. on.
0: That's interesting because in France, um, we implemented those uh, requirements pretty early, I think sometime earlier in the year. And still to this day, you have to have your health pass, essentially what it's called in France. Um, And you have to show it at the, you know, entrance of a restaurant or a nightclub or a bar, pretty much any public space, And uh, it has to be valid. And the way it gets validated is either you have been vaccinated or you have a recent uh, test. And a couple of months ago, the government stopped paying for the tests. So essentially incentivizing very, very strongly people to get vaccinated. And and that got a a significant bump in vaccination rate. Um, But so that's where I guess the people consider Sweden to be a bit more lax. Because in, in Finland, it's essentially... to. To, you know, to with some variations, it's comparable to what's in France, um, even though we haven't had to have health passes in restaurants and stuff like that. But vaccination policies are the same. Um, but I guess that's why people consider Sweden to be a bit more lax. It's like, yeah, you can do what you want. If you're a restaurant, you want to welcome 15 guests per table and uh, pile them on top of one another. Just go ahead. And I guess that's why people see it like that.
1: Yeah, um, um, that said, most restaurants did take a very uh, good approach to everything. They, you know, they closed down every other table and so on. And um, they, they made sure that um, there were more um, seats outside during the, the summer months rather than inside and so on. And just try to spread people out as much as possible. But um, I, I think the biggest change that we saw came to um, school and work. Uh, a lot more was focused on school from home, work from home and so on. Um, I mean, for for the entire year of 2020, I, I didn't right. step foot into my office uh, after I think March or April. Mm. Um, everything was done from home. Um, I'm doing some university courses now, and they're all done from home, and so on. So, yeah. it's um, it's yes, really that's the same um, everywhere. Yeah, it, it it really is, and I, I think even now, when uh, you know things are beginning to wind down somewhat, people are still staying at home. Um. A lot of companies uh, that friends and friends of mine work at, uh, they've said like, "Yeah, you can come to the office if you want. We're not going to mandate it uh, at least not until the end of the year. Um, so you know, do what you want. but uh, but, yeah, when it comes to masks and similar mandates, uh, Sweden has been very lax. but um I, I don't think we've suffered a lot from it, though,
0: okay. That's interesting. Um, so essentially, what you're saying is, are are people wearing masks uh, just because they think it's the right thing to do? yeah that's that's really interesting you're essentially doing without being told to do so you're doing whatever everyone everyone else is doing when they're told to do so because like especially in france maybe not so much in finland but initially i remember that a lot of people were very angry about the masks uh thing because people you know if you remember the the forever ago times of um when we didn't know that mas- masks were, you know, useful and, and efficient in containing um, the spread, and the government were was like, we learned later that they kind of knew it was probably a good idea, but since there was such a shortage of masks, they didn't say so because they wanted the masks to go to healthcare professionals right? And so they didn't say so. And a lot of, when we figured it out, a lot of people were angry saying, oh, you should trust the people. And like, you're infantilizing them. And you're not like, this is outrageous public policy. You should have told us and we would have been fine. And we would have known at least we don't like being lied to. And then over the course of the next couple of years, every time there was something like mandatory vaccination, the like the the government was saying uh oh, it would be a good idea to get the vaccine but if there wasn't a, a reason to do it people would be very slow some people would be very slow to adopt it and the late, the last straw was when they stopped paying for the PCR tests and uh like there was a bump of i don't know a million people making reservations to get the vaccine and so a lot of people were me included were like see we're not responsible like of course they're managing the situation with a couple of like trying to steer the situation we know we have to get vaccinated and still a lot of people don't do it and they will only do it because they don't want to have to pay for to pay for the test um so anyway that that was a funny thing that you are actually being responsible so you don't feel like the um characterization of sweden as being like whatever we'll all get it it's fine is accurate it's just that you're doing what should be done without having to you know be
1: forced to do it yeah pretty much i mean the um in, initially i think the uh, the reaction came from our government not being allowed to limit people in the way that governments in a lot of other countries uh, could um you know we we just um we couldn't enforce limits on how people are allowed to gather and so on you know it, it's you it's not vote. part of
0: you can't vote, like, can't the parliament vote specific laws? Like, that's what happened in Finland and France. Like, you get exceptional, exception laws uh, for six months and you renew them. That's not possible?
1: Um, for s- some cases, yes. Uh, in, in this case, an exception was made eventually. But um, mm. generally speaking, it has to be uh, validated by two consecutive governments. Uh, if you want to make mm. a, a change in our... Um, um, essentially our constitution or what right passes now. for a constitution in Sweden. So, so one government is a lot
0: more difficult.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, and, uh, and I think a lot of the initial opinions about how Sweden handles the pandemic came from there, but, um, they, they've, uh, run a very successful, um, you know, public awareness campaign. There's, uh, advertisements in the subways and on buses. There's, uh, information everywhere. Um, there's a lot of, um, Uh, just general information and uh, I wouldn't say propaganda really, but, you know, sometimes it feels a bit heavy-handed, I I must Mm. say, um, where they're they're just reminding everybody, you know, get vaccinated. If you haven't been vaccinated, then make sure you get vaccinated, Uh, make sure you social distance, make sure you wear a mask, etc. But they're not enforcing it. They're just, Mm. you know, very strongly suggesting it. (laughs) It's funny, the societies where you have to live by consensus
0: in... Finland and Sweden, and it seems most of the Nordic countries. Japan definitely makes me think of that as well. Um, I, I last question before we move on to to Gunnar on the topic. Um, I'm guessing you have some diehard anti-vax, uh, you know, hydroxychloroquine, you know, conspiracy <laughs> theorists uh you know i'm saying that's actually so 2020 it's not that anymore but whatever the flavor of the month is you have some of those in in sweden as well i'm guessing
1: oh yeah absolutely um you know whenever there's a major um opinion that sways people and people can make it political if they want to they they will obviously um but i i think in I think that the general impression, um, at least for, for me and friends of mine, right. is we, we just kind of raise our eyebrows and go, oh, wow, there's that many of them? Oh, wow, they're they're actually demonstrating? Oh, wow, they're actually gathering in public spaces with signs? What idiots. And then right. we just, you know, scurry on home and social distance. <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of, um, it's a very Swedish thing, I suppose, to kind of just ignore the problem and hope it goes away on its own. <laughs> uh, and... Um, I think that's kind of what we're doing with the anti-vaxxers we're just hoping that you know okay well they they can do their thing they're not harming anyone except themselves we'll just avoid them for now and if they get covered then you know so be it mm. i mean to be
0: completely uh exhaust exhaustive uh <laughs> it's also exhausting but to be complete They are not just uh, always harming themselves. There are people who can't get vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera. So just to mention it. Um, All right. Gunnar, we've described for different reasons a kind of similar end result, uh, it seems, in Europe. I'm guessing most of European countries have that uh, roughly uh, similar situation. How's it going uh, in Minnesota?
2: Well, um, first off, I just want to say, uh, I don't know how familiar you guys are, but um, Minnesota is where a lot of the Swedes came to when they immigrated to the United States. One of the first immigrant neighborhoods was called Swede Hollow. Uh, <laughs> and so hearing the description of uh, ignore the problem and hope it goes away and and um, <laughs> natural social distancing is very familiar to me here in, um with an American twist on it. But uh, the problem overall in Minnesota is uh, – I was just talking with my wife about this the other day. You know, we went to our first um, play. We went back to the theater um, just this past Sunday, and we had to show our vaccination cards to get in. um, And they did social distance the theater. Um, But it was surreal to be back in there. And then um, at the same time, we are the 10th highest uh it, it, hospitalization rate right now in in the world i believe is where it's still at um our governor had to call up the national guard to help staff hospitals um and that so is wait a second
0: a, you mean 10th oh, yeah. in the world if like uh, the if, state was considered a country the yes, rate would be yeah. wow okay yeah. so that's even yeah. including other American states, which I'm guessing yeah. some of them are in that top ten as well or, you know, not well, too yeah. far from it.
2: Yeah. We, we, yeah, we're highest performing and it's been very strange. And in the U.S., uh, you know, it changes. It seems to kind of flow around the country to where the, the high rates are. Um, my biggest issue is with the politicization of this uh, and really um, – a perfect example of this would be like the other day I went to go pick up some stuff uh, from a guy I've done business with for years. And I walked into a shop and he had a sign on the door that said, you know, masks uh, are are not needed here. In fact, they're discouraged. We love to see your smiling face. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> but I walked in with my mask on anyways. Um, and I'm fully vaccinated and boosted, but I still wear it because I don't want to transmit, uh, like you were saying, Patrick, to someone. You know, I have members of my family, um, extended family, who can't get vaccinated yet for various reasons. Um. So what was the guy's reaction? So, well, th- that's the funny thing. So okay. I came in and he made a point of saying something to me and then he looked at and pointed to – he had all these uh, – these quotes from like ben franklin and and you know founding fathers and stuff and i'm like yeah can i just get my shit and go like like we can we don't need to do that we can just do the business and move on (laughs) because at some point you're gonna like i'm not gonna want to do business with you anymore and i've had a business relationship with this guy for like 15 20 years Mm. um it's just weird the way people are doing that uh here so yeah that that that's a little off-putting (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I think you know we have, as as we mentioned with Brecky, uh, we do have the diehards. I, I think everywhere um, anti-vax, and and the difference is that in the US they seem to be a lot more mainstream. They, they're very, and there there there's many of them. Like I'm not saying in in France or Sweden, Finland. Um, I think there are various amounts, but you know, 10% of the population apparently does just doesn't want to get vaccinated at all. And that's a lot of people. In France, that's like, I don't know, 5 million people, 6 million people, if you count or don't count kids in that uh, uh, number. So that's a lot of people. But it seems like in the US, it's become this crazy um, political point in the two main parties, which it may, which is maybe a function of the two-party system and the general polarization of the u.s i don't know but it's it's just on principle opposing something which has made one of the party's policies to be that like it's it's weird that it went that far
1: yeah, I was just going to say the same thing, that here in uh, in Europe and um, in, in other countries that I'm aware of, um, it's it's more a case where the anti-vaxxers say, you know, things like, um, this is untested, it causes medical issues, we don't know what the medical side effects will be, um, conspiracy, 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 and so on. But, uh, but nowhere is it, you know, oh, it's the social democrats that are trying to do this, or oh, it's the uh, environmentalist party that's trying to do this. Um, it's it's not politicized in Europe. It's not politicized not in much. Japan. It's not politicized in Australia and so on. But in in the U.S., it becomes a very political issue where where people are talking about their political political rights, um, founding fathers, um, Democrats and Republicans, and so on. Uh, and and I, I just don't know where that comes from. Uh, why why is it a a political thing in America and never uh, nowhere else? I mean, for me, I think you you have to say that uh,
2: there is a romanticization right now with the founding fathers and these individual rights. Um, If people were to do a bit of research, they would know that the Supreme Court, one of the first things they ever ruled that the government in the United States had the right to um, constrict your individual rights on was uh, quarantining <laughs> and pandemic and locking down people. So it's very interesting because when this all started and me being um, you know, a public policy person and the historian that I am, I was like, oh, well – the supreme court's going to rule that this is all okay the government's are going to have the right and then everybody's going to throw their temper tantrums like uh children and we'll move on with life and and that is not what has happened which has been the sad thing you know in minnesota we have you were saying like 10% patrick is what you're thinking it's like 30% in minnesota that don't want to get vaccinated mm-hmm. our our two dose rate is is i just looked it up 63 and like a half percent our one dose rate is only like 69% there's not that much difference between those and it's not growing even as we're having more hospitalizations and things. But I can be in the city and I don't know. I take that back. I knew one person who was choosing not to get vaccinated. Um, Beyond that, everyone else I know is choosing to. So in the city, that's very much the mentality. Uh, If I go to our, our family lake place, which is like two and a half, three hours away, and nobody's getting vaccinated there, and there are people who will buy at you like a sheep when they see you wearing a mask and things. You know, they just put it in your face that they don't want to do that. So, uh, we find ourselves avoiding many social situations, um, just because of that. If we're not within, you know, the corridor of the the Twin Cities region,
0: so it's not just that people think, you know, I'm in the countryside, I don't meet so many people anyway. I don't really need it. And, you know, that we don't know what it's going to do to us in, in 10 or 15 years, which is unfounded, but I can understand that concern, um, however inaccurate it is. It's that in, in the, those areas, there's this, that sentiment that we're describing powerful anti vax, uh, politicized
2: two party opposition thing. Yeah, and um, for Minnesota especially, you have like 60-some percent of the population lives in the Twin Cities region. So outstate is very, you know, that's most of our state, right? But it's, it's not that populated. And there is, uh, for a long time, there has been a very rural-urban divide of, uh, you know, all the rules get made down here in Minneapolis and mm-hmm. St. Paul. And they affect us here. And it's very different in northern Minnesota than it is in southern Minnesota, which is very different than being in the city. Um, So people get, you know, they get bent out of shape about that. So it's very often just you're making rules that don't apply to us and you don't understand us.
0: It's I mean, there's also, I'm sure, the general we don't trust the government thing, which is, you know, American period, including on the left, by the way, I I sometimes say that. It it includes the left, like uh, how many times I've heard people say, you know, progressive left-wing people in the US, at some point, you know, they they betray their instincts or they show their instincts and they're like, oh, but I don't know if I want the government to be involved in that. And you're like, you're talking about healthcare. What else <laughs> is the government going to be involved in? Or like regulating the tech industry, which is something I follow closely, like Who else is going to do it if not the government? Anyway, so I'm guessing there's that. But to look at something maybe a little bit differently, um, you said it's like uh, 65% average vaccination rate between one and two doses, maybe almost 70. For us, it's 75. So it's not obviously every percent counts, but it doesn't seem like it's, you know, we're at 75 and you're at... (laughs) 40 it's it's a little bit closer than i think the our discussion here might make it sound is that
2: that's clear? heartening <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> fair that makes me feel a little better i think the biggest issue is that where the uh where the vaccinations are not happening is um you know it's not happening at all so right. it would be one thing to me if we had you know uh, that rate was spread out across the entire um state but what you find is like the reporting if you go onto our official state covid website now we um, will have vaccination rates by county because mm-hmm. they just want to point out how the disparity is from county to county right. um, and that's how they're looking at it from a public health standpoint right now and that's where the problem lies because also when you get into these smaller areas they also have smaller hospital systems Cool. So, as they need to use those resources, they don't have as many of them, right? And so then the biggest issue you have then is if you're using your entire facility right, for COVID stuff, when something else happens, uh, th- you're hearing these stories in Minnesota of um, needing to check and and like these flights for life or the ambulance needing to go to six or seven different facilities before they can drop off. In, you know, a patient who needs to be cared for um, because has there is nothing no real- to do with COVID. It's just
0: regular emergency stuff. It
2: could just be a regular. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Could have been a car accident. Could have been, you know, anything like that um, or somebody just needing some some care that requires hospitalization and not being yeah. able to go to, you know, facility one, two, three, four or five and going two counties over or something to yeah. find them a bed.
0: So far here, we haven't gone that It the situation hasn't been that bad. It might become worse um, and the government there's been not the government but there's discussions on like should we mandate uh, quarant not quarantining but um, uh, uh, yeah quarantining essentially for non-vaccinated people which is something I think Austria did who was it I think it's Austria um, and then they realized it doesn't work and so I don't know what the vaccination situation is over there but um, they realized it doesn't work so they had to do full-on quarantining for everyone. Um, I think maybe we'll get there in France as well, but I guess we're hoping that it will be the last time, but we'll see. I don't um, think
2: that'll ever happen again in the U.S., in, in Minnesota or anywhere else. I don't think there'll be major lockdown or quarantining. Yeah. Politically, it doesn't work.
0: <sighs> All right. Um, okay, let's move on. From the global pandemic. Um Breki, you said you had another topic you might want to mention uh on your I side. I
1: did, yes. Um today Sweden actually elected its first female prime minister, um, being the last Nordic country to yeah, ever have surprised. a female head of state. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sweden is um, so so like progressive on the that front. I'm I didn't realise it was the first time.
1: Yeah, no, it, it's the, the first first time that a, a Nordic country, or the first time that Sweden has a female head of state. And it's this all happened in a very convoluted way because um there was a vote of no confidence for the seated party uh, earlier this summer. Um, and this was the first time in Swedish history that a vote of no confidence actually resulted in the fall of the government. But since the opposition parties were unable to form a new government, the previous government got their seat back. Uh, but the... Uh, <laughs> But the prime minister he was kind of shaken by the entire thing and he was like well i lost a vote of no confidence so i'm i'm gonna resign so he uh he announced uh, earlier this year i think it was um um august probably he he announced that he was going to resign uh or rather not seek re-election uh, as party chairman and um he would resign as prime minister um when his successor was was elected and that happened earlier today um Magdalena Andersson, our former um, uh, minister for finance, was uh, elected uh, leader of the Social Democratic Party, and uh, that made her the first female head of government.
0: Well, it's worked out really well for us here in Finland with uh, sanna Marin. So Mm. I'm sure... Obviously, because it's a woman, it's going to be fine and everything's going to be great.
1: Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm from Iceland originally, and Iceland was the first Nordic country with a female head of state. So, you know, I'm, I'm good with all this.
0: It, it's really interesting because here, um, I mean, obviously, Finland, as other Nordic countries, is very uh, progressive, as I said. Um, it's not like she didn't get pushback during the pandemic but generally i've mentioned it on the show a couple of times um she was regarded as a uh, very efficient and managed the crisis well and i even in finland i'm wondering like she if she had been a man i'm wondering if she would have had even more praise on her like even even in finland it's like f- in order for her to not have been criticized much
1: I'm sure she did an incredible job. Um, but like do they're... do Finns even remember what it's like to have a male head of state? I mean, <laughs> you, you've had female heads of state since uh, Tarja Halonen back in it's, the 2000, it's, pretty much.
0: It's been a while. I don't think it, it's been continuous. Um, no, part... but it, it's been, what, three or four yeah. different ones since 2000? S- something like that, something like that. Tarja I Hanlen,
1: I, uh, Anneli, I've only been here Anneli, for... Mari,
0: and Sanna. Yeah, I've only been here for, you know, three years. And uh, for me, it's a novel concept to have a a female head of state.
2: (laughs) I can't uh... imagine what that would be like.
0: (laughs) Although we did have female prime ministers in France, at least one or two.
1: So, but uh, Uh, that's not the president.
0: Edith Cresson, exactly. Yeah, you wow, you know your political history. Um,
1: I, I know my Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so yeah, that was that was the only one. And the president is the real head of state, anyway. So, um, okay, well, that's 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 pretty cool. That's good news. Welcome yeah. to uh, the world of uh, equality,
1: Sweden. Indeed. <laughs> Maybe we'll get there someday.
0: <laughs> well, one of these someday, days. Yeah.
1: You know, I. Oh, well, you I got your first female vice president. That's oh, yeah. Something. That's going real well, real well. Mm.
2: Oh yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so that's actually one of my uh, questions uh, for you, Gunner. Uh, we, for us, maybe Turkey will will contradict me, but for us, the feeling that we have towards the U.S. is uh, since the election of uh, Biden is mostly you know what it's not the 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 crazy dude at the head of the country anymore so we're fine just you guys figure your shit out we we're not interested anymore like it's it's okay biden is a, 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 like a sane person whatever everything's good um, to I me it, it's almost like
1: um to me it's almost like a, a tv series that's really fun to watch for three seasons and then they <laughs> have a change of um you know script the and so runner. on and season four <laughs> is just boring and and you know it's it's like the flash season four and you're like ah, this isn't fun anymore I, uh, let's <laughs> yeah. see if there's something else to watch yeah exactly and that's been american politics for the past decade
0: uh, uh yeah. a little bit it, that's how it feels in you know with the difference that it affects the safety uh, of everyone in the world and and concern and anxiety, but that's, that's what it feels like. I'm guessing that's not what it feels like when you actually live in the US, <laughs> and I'm curious to, to hear
2: uh, your opinion on that. Yeah, I think the biggest thing to understand um, for us is that, you know, a majority I I would I would say a majority of the people I know and I know for sure all the progressives like they didn't vote for Biden. They voted against Trump. Mm. It's not necessarily that they were all excited and wanted Biden. They just really didn't want Trump back in there. So, you know, it's kind of one of those anything is better than that. So this is where we need to go. And then you have those who did vote for Biden who, who were like, all right, now we have a, you know, we have a moderate again, we have an institutionalist, we know what to expect. There isn't really much to worry about. He's going to protect all our interests as he's done since he was, you know, the man's been in the Senate and been a, a part of Washington forever. So all these people thought, we're going to go back to the status quo the way we like it. It's just going to be a little more, um, you know, democratic leaning as opposed to whatever that was that happened in the previous administration. You know, we don't have a chaos agent here anymore. um. What we're getting is you had Biden who is his, – his administration is tacking a lot more progressive at times. And so all these moderates who are actually fans of him are like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? We're supposed to be putting the institutions back in place and not rocking the boat. And, and all the progressives are like, you're not rocking this boat enough. We need to get going. Let's do more. Let's do more. So nobody's happy. And at the end of the day, Biden's not out here talking. You know, they don't let the man do too many of these off-the-cuff speeches. And after the Trump show for four years, where he just went out and blathered whatever he wanted to, um you know, and that's one thing I will say, at least the man made himself available to the press. I was embarrassed every time he did pretty much, but that kind of availability from a commander in chief of this country is not not usually seen. And so now, when we get back to what is really more normal, and not hearing from the president every day. People are just. They're just angry and annoyed. And want to hear more and know more. Um, and it just seems like nothing is happening. Like he's like he's not around. And then you have the problem with. Congress not getting anything done. You know we have these great big bills. And it's like we just passed. a Like a one and a half trillion dollar. Infrastructure bill. You would think there would be dancing in the streets. And rejoice. Yeah, that, that seems like it's not nothing is getting
0: done it it seems like some things are getting done at least
2: this is what i'm saying though is that like that happened yet it feels like nothing's getting done and that did not feel like a win because there was so much infighting and arguing and the number started at like six trillion and they were gonna i don't know build us each a candy house with gumdrop roof you know shingles (laughs) and something and like we didn't get that so now everybody's like, huh, I guess one and a half trillion. And I'm over here thinking one and a half trillion dollars for our infrastructure. I mean, I have a bridge <laughs> a quarter mile up the road for me that's been closed for two years because they they literally when they did the last inspection on it, the inspector shut it down at that moment. Like he made people physically go up and say cars are not going over this a- as of right now. That's how bad it was. So yeah. it's getting fixed. Our infrastructure is horrible here. So, you know, we should be happy and we're not. <laughs> nobody so no is one's happy. Uh, satisfied yeah yeah no one's sad, and not in a good way i mean that's usually how i would like to see government working right mm. like everybody's a little upset but we're making progress that's called compromise i think i don't remember what it is we don't do that here anymore but so everyone's really upset but would you say the second part of that
0: you know way of putting it but we're making progress is still still applies or you feel like you're not making progress outside of the you know one and a half trillion (laughs) dollars
2: i mean it's it's insane to say right like yeah we just we just got a one and a half trillion dollar (laughs) uh infrastructure bill and everyone's like nothing's happening um we'll see when those projects actually come together and what happens but uh You know, with the announcement of it, it did nothing. perfect example would be, you know, Biden just announced, the administration announced yesterday, I believe, that they're going to release from the strategic petroleum reserves a a bunch of oil to hopefully ease, you know, gas prices, which – I I, I'm embarrassed every time I talk about fuel prices in the U S because compared to Europe or anywhere else, we pay nothing like like it's insanely cheap. You know I mean? I think right now it's about three, it's below three and a half dollars a gallon for us, but it's like $3 a gallon or something in Minnesota to buy a gallon of gas. Okay. That's not that bad. It's not the highest it's been in my, in my lifetime. It was over $4 for a while, about 10, 15 years ago. Um, and people are just losing their minds. But then he releases this oil, and everyone's complaining about that. And it's, you know, whoa, what are you doing? And that's only going to get us through two days, and da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, can we all just calm down? And and like... <laughs>
0: So, I mean, I would expect um, the Republicans to be upset, but you're saying that the Democrats are also unhappy.
2: Yes, because, because it, sorry, of the... Is, oh, is it the ahead?
0: case that... You hear the people who aren't happy because of social media and, and, you know, news networks and stuff like that? Or do you really feel like everyone's unhappy or most people aren't happy?
2: I feel like we have most people are are not happy. I feel like we have two major factions within the Democratic Party right now, that being the progressives and that being the moderates, as they like to be called what I would consider more of a, a, a conservative um, Democrat. Um and, and neither side is really happy. Um, progressives are at a point where, you know, there's this tipping point where they have enough momentum and enough um, Congress within the party that they can make some strides in different places and they, they can exercise their will a bit. But it's just not enough. You know, they get beaten back most of the time. But that's a that's a dangerous tipping point to be at. And so their voices are loud enough to be heard, uh, but they're they're not. You know, strong enough to actually change the will of the party and and make things happen at their pace.
0: So, how progressive are we talking about? Like, is
2: it you know, Comey nut jobs? Like how? <laughs> how? <laughs> I mean, so in Minneapolis to get kind of uh, hyper local here, you would be looking at these last uh, the last um, votes that we just took. You know, which was like the defund police. And things which uh, the most progressive amongst us would have used that language, defund the police. And that is the language that originally came out. Now it got demonized and turned into something it was not. Um, Just full disclosure, I want to say it was about creating a Department of Public Safety, right? Um, Our state runs our state patrol and our state police that way. It was literally we wanted to create the same system that we have at the state level, at the city level. And people lost their minds and were like, you're going to defund the police and we're going to get rid of the police tomorrow. If this vote passes on Tuesday, Wednesday, we have no police in this city. That's just not what was going to happen, you know. <laughs> um, but there are a lot of the progressives who were like, yeah, that's what I want. And, and wouldn't Wait, back down from that message. <laughs> that's what I want, meaning I want no police tomorrow? Yes. What? I mean, that's as extreme as it can get. So there are those who are that far extreme, as opposed to those who are going to be like, no, we need police. You know, police need to be here, but we can we can change the way that um, policing is done.
0: Yeah, that's obvious. But (laughs) what is really shocking to me is that you're saying within the Democratic Party. And I think you might be, you know, giving some like, I don't know wind into the sails of the people who criticize the democratic party in those terms within the the democratic party you have people who genuinely think i don't think it would ever happen anyway but they genuinely think you would need to get rid of the police from one day to the next like yeah there's a
2: strong abolitionist movement within certain parts of of our city and I don't think uh, you know I'm not trying to represent it as that abolition abolitionist movement is you know half of the party right but you know once you get to 5 or 10% you you've got a 10%. coalition there right and you feel pretty energized and then um if you're good at at uh at at grassroots movement and you get out there and you're making a lot of noise then it seems outsized and of course then you have outlets like Fox News and things which will Hype up every single time that that's there. So if you have 100 people, but every time your 100 people get together and shout that message, you're on national news with Fox News, yet you seem like a lot more powerful than you are. Um, You know, I I look at this like you look at what the squad does and AOC and these people and Ilhan Omar, who is from Minnesota. um, What's the squad? In Congress. The squad is what they call um, the four women uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, uh, Corey. Oh, oh uh, there's four senators, and I'm trying to read Cori okay. Bush. Um, uh, uh, well, I, I'd have to look it up. I'm sorry, sure. but there's four women who are in Congress. They're known as the Squad. Rashida Tlaib is a third, and then there is a fourth, um, Ilhan Omar, and and um, you know it's they incredible that you have
0: those names in the U.S. Congress. Like I don't think yeah. we have uh, that kind of name in the French Parliament. I, I, we probably do. I don't know. But it, it's like when you, I hear the names, it's striking. But uh, yeah, anyway, well, sorry. we have
2: a huge, you know, it's funny. So Rashida Talib is from Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Detroit right next to Detroit is Dearborn. So there's a, a huge, I think it's the largest uh, Muslim population outside of a Middle Eastern country. It's really cool. It's where Ford was started too. So if you go there, it looks like fifties Americana, except everybody's in like hijabs and all the writing. <laughs> there'll be there'll be Arabic above the English on signs now and everything. It's 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 awesome. Um, but then you also have uh, Ilhan is from Minneapolis here and from an area where a lot of the Somali refugees and the East African um refugees and population immigrants have moved. So there's these strong coalitions around that, and that is what um keeps them in their seats quite frankly but that squad is very very progressive cory bush is the one who when um the when the moratorium on evictions was gonna um was gonna expire here in the u.s and the biden administration was just gonna let it expire she went and, and stayed she slept out on the steps of congress for a few nights until they they overturned that and and tried to put it back in place knowing full well they said we don't think this is legal but okay but they did it to placate her. And sure enough, the Supreme Court was like, yeah, that's not legal. <laughs> yeah. But but, you know, they're that um, they're that activated to do things and to act um, in those ways. And they're very progressive um, and they lead this wing of the party. That is, you know, they didn't want to vote to put Pelosi back in power. I mean, they, they're very progressive. They do things very differently than the than the run of the mill part of uh, part of Congress. They're friends with Bernie, you know.
0: Yeah, that's basically <laughs> where my my thoughts were going. It's like Bernie without Bernie, um, it seems. Which, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, all right, um, what would be the main topic you you would say has made the headlines for for you, Gunner? Uh, I would say in the U.S., but maybe in Minnesota, um, like the, I mean, the in main, Minnesota, yeah
2: yeah we've we've been through so much, you know, we got through the trial of george floyd, um Derek chauvin, the the officer was found guilty. Um we managed to get through that, I think, in terms of you know how the city's doing, we're we're calming down in that way, but COVID is is probably still your biggest thing here that, that harps home. And then we just got through this vote where our mayor was reelected, which was, was a really tense point. I mean, um, they literally, Jacob Fry is his name, and they literally at one point when they were um, protesting after the murder of George Floyd, they marched to his house where he lives and were in the streets out in front of his house. So to his credit, he came outside to engage with the people who were there and angry. And when they didn't like the answers he was giving... Um, they did that, that scene from, from Game of Thrones where they just shouted shame at him as he walked back into his home. I mean, it was, it was surreal. It was crazy. And so he just had his reelection and he won. Um, he also was given strong mayor powers, uh, which means that the city council here actually has less power. To, to The the city council has less power to control the business of the city now, and the mayor has more. And so the mayor has always had control over the police department, um, which was one of the reasons that a lot of people wanted him gone. Um, But now he has even more control and doesn't need city council approval to do a lot of things. The city council becomes more of an advisory role at this point, which Wait, may actually how, be better how did at the that end happen? of the day. I, uh, I, I, okay, I'm going to, this is me editorializing and I'm going to say this in my way, but the way this happened, if you were to go look at the map of who voted what, like, so I live in North Minneapolis. I live in a, um, a black neighborhood and a historically black neighborhood. And a lot of people here voted for someone else to be mayor. Um, you look at the areas around that get closer to the suburbs and farther out in the city from the city centers, which would be more historically white areas and affluent areas. They voted to keep Jacob Fry in office. Um, that's the nicest way I can put that, but that's how that happened. There was a lot of money that came in from outside interests, um, millions of dollars from from suburban business owners and uh, real estate developers and things that put money into Jacob Fry's campaign and into this. Uh, we had three big ballot vote measures on: we had strong mayor, we had um, defund the police, and uh, rent control. And of those three, the strong mayor passed, and oddly enough, rent control passed in both Minneapolis mm-hmm. and Saint Paul, which are two different votes. So they they did um, limit the amount of increase that you you know uh, landowners can charge in rent each year to like three percent. But everything else failed. Um, all of the progressive movements didn't didn't pass, and we didn't get a progressive mayor. So that's really kind of been the the headlines recently, I would say. But even that, um you know in a when you live in a city that was literally on fire and had you know like military helicopters flying overhead for a, a couple of months um when you don't end up with riots and things and everybody's just a little upset after political things you're kind of <laughs> like all right that one okay um and that's that's where we're at okay
0: all right i i do want to ask you about um and this is how little i know about it the the trial that just happened last week with the the jury. Uh, say, Rittenhouse
2: like, from Kenosha?
0: Right, yes. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask you about it because, you know, you're the American here. And I don't really exactly know what it's about. I, you know, I gather that it's essentially a, a white dude who killed people who was let go free uh, again. And, <laughs> like, is, is that it? Or, like, okay, a, what is so
2: it? yeah, um, Kyle Rittenhouse was 17 years old. Um, at the time of the Kenosha, there was rioting in Kenosha due to the shooting of another, um, unarmed black man by the name of Jacob Blake, who, um, police shot when he was protesting at another thing. Um, and that there was no accountability for that. It was found to be a justified shooting. Um, Kyle Rittenhouse crossed state lines with an AR 15. Decided he needed to go defend a car dealership. I believe is what he was he was defending that night. Um, he he claimed he was a medic, so he he was um, there to offer medic services, 17 years old, mind you. He's a high school student when he does this. But he went from um, Illinois to Wisconsin with uh, an AR-15 and his little med bag, um, his, his backpack of medical supplies, went to this car dealership. Um, apparently, he was literally walking around at the thing, you know, calling out like medical, medical, saying he was available to give medical services. Um, but he put himself in the situation. He didn't, the situation didn't happen upon him i just i want to state that and that's my opinion um i think if you go back and look at the the facts as they are in the trial you would come to that opinion too um at but, one point
0: so, sorry just a second yeah did he have like family in that car dealership like what's no no like I just believe the
2: way that that happened is that, you know, there's these groups, they meet online and, and, you know, you could probably go online right now and be like American com or something like right. that. Um, same kind of groups that ended up organizing Charlottesville, same kind of groups that ended up organizing, um, the January 6th stuff. Uh, you know, some of that's more extreme and I'm, I'm. You know, maybe being a bit extreme at that. But that's where they meet and how they come together and coalesce. Right. And this group decided that, you know, they had a call to action to come defend Kenosha from the BLM terrorists, right?
0: No, I get um, that. But how does he like now that it's a legal question, how does he justify going to that, uh, you know, car dealership because he had to protect it, like cross straight line state state lines, like, if there's an argument to be made, how is that? Maybe you don't know. And maybe that's
2: so, so essentially what but I know he
0: had is no this. link to it. Right. It's just, right. oh, we have to go and protect the city.
2: But you, yes. And you don't have to have a link in, in American law. This is what it comes down to. So in gun law, even though he's underage and legally can't like, he shouldn't have that gun to begin with. Um, those charges got dropped because in, in the state of Wisconsin, and it goes back to hunting rules that technically qualified as like a hunting rifle. Mm-hmm. Because of its size and things. So uh, a, a kid who's passed their rifle safety can carry a gun because they could be out hunting. So the lawyers were able to extrapolate all that and just, you know, mm-hmm. obviously he wasn't hunting in the middle of the city near a car dealership in Kenosha, but the rules apply. So there you go. Um, and at the end of the day, even though he put himself in that situation and he created the conditions that caused him to quote unquote fear for his life. He is he is still allowed to use that as a defense is what that jury said even and how he created that situation do do we know how he feared for his life um so yes he got into a confrontation um with some people at one point um his his ar-15 that he's wearing he had it on one of those uh neck you know, that like necklace thing that causes mm-hmm. it to hang right in front of you like you'll see military wear sometimes. So his gun was completely out there. Um, to, to be clear, the three men that he ended up shooting, they're all white. I, w- I want to say that these are not people of color that he ended up killing. They were BLM protesters. So they were there for, for Black Lives Matter um, protests, but they were not um, – black men, mm. and not that that is germane to the story, but it is to the right, um, who like to point that out. And there was also, I think it was one of the British papers, inadvertently, news news outlets reported that he had killed some uh, black people, and that, that just wasn't true. Um, so th- they get into a confrontation when he's out with this. And I think the way that confrontation started is essentially somebody sees him with his gun and you know says something to him he's 17 years old i'm sure he said something back yada 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 and then all of a sudden um you know they're they're shouting at each other he's being chased for something he said or did and and um i believe you know when when people started to uh threaten him or approach him he raised his his weapon um you know to say hey i'll defend myself at that moment people were like we got to get this gun off this guy And then he, he opened fire. One of the people that he did shoot, I believe had a weapon as well. Um, and so, you know, and then there was a witness who is the guy that the the one who lived is the one who had the weapon himself. Um, and, and he, you know, did state that in his interaction with, uh, Rittenhouse, when he saw him, you know, was like, Hey, did you shoot someone? And Kyle Rittenhouse was like, no, no, I, I didn't do anything. I didn't, you know. And they had an interaction, and during that interaction, he realized that Rittenhouse was a shooter, and he did you know, pull his own weapon. And at that time, Kyle pointed his weapon at him, too, and he had a moment where he had to think, and luckily, uh, Kyle's weapon was not um loaded and primed to shoot at that moment, but he had a moment where he had to think, do I need to kill this kid? Is this kid going to try and kill me? You're talking about a 17-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. Like You should have never been there, but he clearly created the entire situation himself. And then was allowed to say, even though I created this entire situation, I feared for my life. And that's why I, I killed two people and, and injured a third uh, with, a, with a gun. And the jury went, okay, that seems, that seems fair. He feared for his life and that's the law. So he's allowed to, you know, to kill people.
0: I mean, playing devil's advocate for a second, if that's the question that is being asked the jury. I don't know at what terms it's put, but if the question is, do you agree that he feared for his life, regardless mm-hmm. of the con- context, I guess the question is yes, he did fear for his life, right? Yes. Uh, however ridiculous the result is. Um, which yes. yeah, there's no question. This is case
2: ridiculous. is being juxtaposed right now with the case of Ahmad Arbery. and I don't know if you're familiar with that, but he was a I black know. man down um in the south who was out for a jog, um, was just out running, and uh, there were some men who considered themselves like the neighborhood protectors, um, like the community police who there had been some burglaries in the neighborhood recently. They went out um driving around in their truck with with shotgun. Saw Ahmad Arbery running, tried to stop him and said, hey, what are you doing? Uh, he, of course, feared for his life because two men just jumped out of a truck with guns. Uh, he tried to run away. They continued to chase him. And then when they uh, wouldn't leave him alone, he tried to get to the, the man in the gun to get it away from him to neutralize the situation. They killed him. Uh, they never witnessed a crime. They never you know, saw anything. They just saw a black man running. Um, which I think we all go for a jog sometimes, right? Like, it'd be nice if I didn't have to fear that if I went for a jog, somebody's going to think that I'm running because I did something wrong. Um, <laughs> the, the, the Immediately after the Rittenhouse verdict, the, defender, the defendant, um, defendant's lawyers immediately changed tax in that trial to say that they feared for their lives and started asking the defendant's questions about like, You know, what was happening in that moment and the one guy's talking about, well, you know, in the moment that we were wrestling for my gun, I really feared that if I didn't kill him, he was going to kill me if he got my gun away from me. I mean, Mm -hmm. immediately that changed the tact in that trial. They Mm -hmm. think this is an okay defense to say, I came to this situation, I brought a gun, I created the only circumstances that caused the end of a man's life, yet I'm the one who feared for my life. And disregard the fact that the reason that we were wrestling for that gun is because he feared for his life because I brought the gun. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, I feared for my life, so I'm justified in what I did. If this precedent is set, and I don't think it will be in the Ahmad Arbery case, I think they will be found guilty. The judge did um, instruct the jury that you can't make a citizen's arrest, which is still a thing you can do here, um, unless you actually witness the crime. I don't know why that had to be stated, but it did. Uh, (laughs) So I, I think they will be found guilty, but just imagine if they are not and if this is allowed to go, the precedent that we have now set, um, especially at a time when the Supreme Court is considering striking down New York's um, gun possession laws, which you know restrict the possession of handguns in, in the city. You know, in in the United States and in Minnesota, I can speak to if you want a conceal and carry license or a license to have a handgun and to keep it on your person without it being out in the open for people to know, what you have to do is you have to go fill out um, an application. And that application goes to your local law enforcement agency. And then that, you know, sheriff or that um, chief of police, they have to review all those and approve or deny them. Mm-hmm. And in some places, that's a that's pretty much if you fill out that paperwork and you don't have felonies on your record or weapons charges, they're going to approve it. So you have some parts of this country where everybody has a and carry license, and in other places like New York, they're never approving those. It, you need to really show that either there's a direct threat or you're like a diamond, um, a diamond broker or something like mm-hmm. that, you know, or a banker, um, that's going to have money. But unless you can do that, you're not getting one. Um, and the Supreme Court seems ready to say. That is a violation of the Second Amendment, and you can't do that. Um, so if we get to a point where everybody's allowed to carry guns when they want to, and then can just say you know, justifiably that they feared for their life, and that's why they used that weapon, we're headed for some pretty scary extreme times here.
0: All right. Um, just out of I,
1: curiosity, is, is there any discussion um, regarding the uh, stand-your-ground laws? I mean, that's essentially what you're what you're looking
2: at here with these defenses is is stand your ground laws. Um, it it's not being framed that way right now a lot of the time. But if you talk to the anti gun, you know those who want to restrict guns more, they will talk about that a lot. And it is the slope that this starts from, right? Like stand your ground, then gets us to here, and now we're we're devolving even more. I'm concerned and worried because I don't know where. Where this ends and where the justification goes a different way, like I am much more, you know, the complaint from me and many, many like me and 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 people of color for a long time has been that police have such immunity when it comes to using deadly force. They essentially mm-hmm. just have to say, I felt it was the, the only option at that moment. And they do not, they, you know, they get away with it all the time. I would rather we were restricting that more and being more, having more scrutiny on police and everyone else. We seem to be heading in the other direction where we're just going to have less scrutiny on everyone. um, And that's that's kind of scary. There's also the thing, Patrick, I have to throw in of like, as a person of color, these rules do not apply the same. <laughs> as they do to two white people in this country. And so there is the whole thing of like, if you think for an instant, if the roles were reversed and um Kyle Rittenhouse had been a 17 year old black kid who committed that crime, there is no way that I, I do not believe that verdict would have come down the way it did. Um, you know, there's a meme going around right now in the United States that talks about the central park five, which were five young men who were convicted of rape in New York city um, some years ago. And they were younger than Rittenhouse at the time that they went to trial, and they all said they were innocent and they cried on the stand and everything, and they were still found guilty and sent to to prison for many years. Um, you know, Rittenhouse were, got up there. You mean white kids or? No, they were black kids. Okay. Um, they're known as the Central Park Five. If you if you look that up, it's an interesting case. They were all they were found um, to have been wrongly convicted, and they've been freed now. Um, have settlements from the city and state and everything. So. You know we have evidence to say that these things don't happen in the same rate we have evidence of for 400 years in this country to show that the value of a black man's life is not the same as the value of a white man's life in our judicial system and in most parts of society so when we talk about these rules changing and becoming easier we're not talking about them changing or becoming easier for everyone we're talking about them becoming easier for white men um and it's it's just it's a scary time
0: so do you feel? So you feel that things after the Black Lives Matter movement are getting worse? That's the vibe I'm, I'm getting from this.
2: I wouldn't attribute those two together. No,
0: um, but I mean, it, it it would I would guess that given the social significance of that movement, things would improve, and. I, I don't know if you would say it's co- you know it, it's completely unrelated, but they're not improving
2: yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. They're not improving in this instant. You know, there's this whole idea, and Dr. King said, you know, the moral arc um, uh, bends towards justice that that takes a long time. And, and I've said before and I'll say again, I don't have time for that. I'm only on this earth for a certain amount of time and I don't want to live any day where that moral arc is not bending towards justice for me and people like me. Um, but this is a struggle that takes a lot of time. We are at a moment where maybe it's, it's bending a different way. Um, and, and I like to, to equate that to and say you know, that's a death rattle of old systems um, and, of, and of, of white power uh, and the white power structure dying. Right and And changing, and there is a fear there of what that change means and uh, of of uh, of it it flipping and reversing the other way. I, I think inherent in that, there's always this belief that if the the minorities and the people of color in this country were to gain the power and take over, that they would subjugate. <laughs> you know, if, if the minority becomes the major majority that they're going to subjugate the minority just by default. And just because that's the way it's been, or that is what is known in your culture does not mean that's the way it will be, uh, in the future. I would like to think that we have learned, you know, and we will, we will be better. Um, I don't, I don't know, I mean, but yeah, I think it's doesn't,
0: temporary. I, okay. So first of all, that's, that's kind of, uh, makes me a little bit hopeful that you would say you think it's like the bump before maybe it gets better hopefully um mm-hmm. and you know it, it's not even like the fact that you have to respond or explain this idea that no i don't think it would like we would do reverse the situation is a, is depressing like obviously like what is even that idea like, but I, I understand why you have to do it. Even, you know, in France, and I'm sure in, in other countries, there's there's this fantasy in in um, the right side of the political circle of the great replacement. I don't know if you have heard oh, this, yeah. this. Okay, so you know about it. Um, I wasn't sure if it was like a, a French thing or, you know, European thing. Um, but yeah, and it's like, what? where does that even come from? if not the status quo being threatened and people who are so comfortable and honestly fragile uh, because they've been in power and they haven't known challenge, who are fantasizing about this, I I don't know, like this black man or Arab with a knife in their mouth coming and (laughs) frothing at the mouth and pining to to stab you and take your stuff. Like it's so... I, I don't know. But I guess that's... I, I think
1: the fear is, you know, if, if we've treated them like shit for hundreds of years, then, you know, when they come to power, they're going to treat us like we've treated them. I think that's the, the general fear that uh, so many of these people have. I guess it comes from there, but I don't think it's... Obviously, it's not conscious.
0: Like, they're not thinking, oh, we've treated no, them of course. like shit. Yeah, it's it's just like, in the back of the mind, there's this... It, it I don't know, it comes from fear. Well, and... it's...
2: It... It's interesting. So I had a conversation with someone the other day. I serve on a board where we're doing a lot of this diversity and equity and inclusion work right now. And one of the people there said, you know, very honestly, he's like, you know, I just get so frustrated and angry because I feel like what you're trying to tell me is, is that I haven't worked hard in my life and that there's this magical white privilege that gave me everything that I have. And I said, whoa, let's let's slow down here. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that at all. I acknowledge that you worked hard. I need you to acknowledge that I have to work harder. Mm. And I need you to acknowledge that it was easier for you because of who you are. I'm not saying that you didn't work hard. I'm just saying that for me to get to the same place you are, I'm starting 30 yards back on the field for us both to get to that end zone. And it was easier, and you have more systems in place to make it easier, whereas every step of the way, it is harder for me. And by the end of the conversation between us, I think we were both able to come to a place where, you know, he called me, um, the gentleman who I was having this exchange with called me like two days later and was like, I just wanted to say thank you because you helped me to understand and to get over this this feeling I had. And then we all came back together as a group, and somebody there had this great analogy on it where they were like, you know – It's almost like an allergic reaction when we talk about some of this stuff around race and around uh, equality and things where I can't control it at all. But as soon as I'm exposed to it, I have this reaction that I can't stop. And the only way – what do we do for allergic reactions, right? Like we take medicine or we have more exposure. And then, as we're exposed to the thing, we're not allergic to it anymore. And so, we need to continue to embrace with this and to to work on it. But I th- I just thought that analogy was so apt because it re- that's really what it is, right? Like it's this inherent fear and and reaction that we have to like, oh, things are changing. Oh my goodness, it's yeah. going to be horrible for me. I mean,
0: it's even more than that. Honestly, it's it, as a privileged white man, it's hard often not to feel attacked um when all of those things are being discussed especially when you're facing them for the first couple of times because there's all of this awareness awareness now that has come into society for you know the the fifth or hundredth time but there's this like okay there's the racial thing so you are privileged because of that your race and there's the gender thing the sex thing that you're privileged because of this and I can completely understand how some people would feel like, and you're not disabled, then you're not, you know, you're not from the Middle East, and you're not from Africa, and you're and you're like, dude, I have problems too, you know? <laughs> like, and and I think that is a very like natural reaction that unfortunate or not. Like obviously, it would be best if everyone would understand things immediately at uh, the first second things happen. It's important to acknowledge that the reaction is gonna ha- is gonna be that way because if you don't, then you the only result is that people are gonna be even more antagonized. And it's it's you know there's
2: all of this that can can my, I ask you something on that Patrick? Oh sure, go ahead. On the antagonism thing, like, what if we were to change the narrative on this? And what if somebody identifying to you your privilege is just identifying to you an opportunity for you to lift others up? Because when I hear, you know, I have privilege as a man, that tells me that I can lift women up. When I hear that I have privilege, there's doors I can open for other people, right? Like, like, it's very easy. So what do we need to do to do that? Or does that seem crazy when I say that to you? I think you're skipping steps. I think Uh the person
0: who's, the, the first reaction is very selfish the The reaction mm-hmm. is when you're saying you know others have more difficulties than you do. No matter how good-hearted, well, maybe not. No matter, but you know, I think a natural reaction is to feel like, oh, you're saying I have it easier, and that's the, what we're seeing everywhere. And so I think in order for what you're talking about to become a useful tool. I think people have to get over that hump by themselves initially, and maybe it can be made easier. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's something that is to various degrees. You know, some people will have very strong allergic reactions, especially if you're, you know, being fed uh, uh, antagonism through Fox <laughs> yeah. News or whatever. Like, it's easy to latch on to those things and explain your feelings through those lenses. But even, you know, I, I I don't think a lot of people like to admit that, but even myself, I've always been, I think, relatively progressive. But there are always ideas that are, you know, about equality, about racial injustice, about sex, uh, sexism and stuff like that. There are always moments where even me a few years ago or a decade or two decades ago, I would be like, well, wait a second now, you know, and now I know that I have to stop and think about it and maybe listen a little bit more and and put myself like my my pride and and uh i don't know my my yeah my pride I guess outside of that conversation for a second to in order to be able to under- to understand it. But I'm I'm almost fifty years old now. You know I have the, <laughs> the experience, and the, I can completely understand how someone who's a little bit younger, maybe was raised in an environment that is conducive to uh, uh, being feeling like those things are natural, would not have the same reaction. And there's you know there's something that I can't remember the name of that thing. My my, my wife talks about it a lot. It's like um, inherited. Uh, social baggage or something like that. Okay. Um, it's the idea, I'm sure you're probably familiar with it, but it's the idea that even if your your, your current generation is poor or doesn't have as much money as your social class uh, for your parents would have, you're still given as kind of an inheritance, like a, a legacy, uh, some skills and confidence and like that make it a little bit easier for you and i think you know i often talk about um how my family was actually displaced by the uh, war in lebanon and mm-hmm. we my parents uh came from lebanon with nothing like literally two suitcases and i'm like well you know that makes me ca- it, it Technically, I realized only a few years ago, technically my parents were war war refugees and I never used to think about it like that. But they came from a social uh, uh, context where they had a, a lot of things. Well, I mean, easy, everything is relative, but they had it like they were confident and I didn't have... Any doubt growing up because that's how the the context of my family was that I was going to you know either achieve certain things or be comfortable or wouldn't have to worry about certain things and that is also part of it um and it's deeply ingrained not just in so even some anyway it's a, it, I'm getting <laughs> off track a little bit but the bottom line is i understand the reaction of some of those people and the antagonism, and we have to recognize it in order to short circuit it, I think. And most and, certainly,
2: yeah, yeah. I, I, agree with you a hundred percent. I think I re- I want to say I recognize it too. And I think it's about coming to it from a place of grace and being able to, like, like you shouldn't demonize someone for, uh, like we wouldn't make fun of someone or demonize them for an allergic reaction. Right. They can't control that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have the opportunity to to help them <laughs> and to work with them and if you come at that not from a place of of judging um i had a friend i was just in grad school with who he really just didn't understand i i told him the story the last time i got pulled over by the police and handcuffed when i was just pulled over for a traffic violation i was 34 years old <laughs> so and he it blew his mind he said, I've mm-hmm. never had that happen. They always just come all up right. to the car and say, hey, how you doing, this and that. And he said, I barely get a ticket. And all of a sudden, that's what clicked for him of like, we have two totally different experiences in life mm-hmm. in this same space where we just live, a, you know, like an hour apart. And, and I said to him, I was like, man, I'm so happy for you. Like, I wish that I had had that life. But now, you know, Like, I'm not trying to take away from the fact that you got to live that great life, but just honor and recognize that I didn't. And that it's different, and we can work to make it the same for everyone, but I don't want him to have to live the way I lived. I want everyone to live the way he lived, <laughs> yeah, you know that, that's why it's so
0: frustrating that idea that you know that is maybe to some level a little bit unconscious that that people have that things are they're gonna come for us, right It's like no i, I want right. everyone to have this and and also, I do want to acknowledge you know, I spent fifteen minutes talking about how. The, the adverse reaction of, of privileged white men is understandable. And I stand by that. I really understand that it is. But it's also, you know, the difficulty is that it's a lot to ask people who are the actual victims in those situations who are like, dude, I just want to not have to be pulled over every, you know, three months yeah. by the police for having done nothing to tell them... Okay, I hear you, but do you understand that you telling me I'm I I have it easy is really hurtful to my feelings? Like obviously <laughs> that's you know, I so I just want to acknowledge that for um uh, out of principle, but yeah. uh,
2: appreciate that I and I will know, say man. I understand it, I will never accept it. Mm. I mean, you know, it it's not something I'm ever going to accept, but I will fully understand it. And I'll give you your space to be in that space, but I will continue yeah. to push every single person who has that reaction or that experience <laughs> to say, do something different. You know, yeah. let's let's figure it out. Let's figure out how you can be more comfortable with, with uh, moving in a different direction.
0: I, th- I think the difficulty of that is it's a, an impossible situation because I really think for mo- a lot of people, maybe not all, but for a lot of people, and maybe given the... Rate of those conversations now it's come it's becoming a little bit more ingrained in society, and you grow up with it and you grow up with in- understanding it and it's a generation problem, maybe hopefully um but the 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 for those people the however dumb and and ridiculous the reaction is, it's still true and if mm-hmm. we want to actually improve things, which I think is the goal for everyone here we just have to deal with that aspect of it as well which is an added difficulty and frustration
2: um but yeah i don't know <laughs> it's it's just it will get better i want to i want to believe that i really do i need to yeah. say that let's be positive here it will and we but it's just we all have a lot of work to do But I'll be quite honest, you know, my people have been doing work for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Right. And, and I just was saying to someone the other day, like I went to a meeting with some elders and, uh, these are people who marched in the sixties and things. And they're like, yeah, you guys got it rough. I don't know how you're gonna, how you're gonna fix things. I, it's, I couldn't do this. And I'm like, what the? you, you had dogs (laughs) and fire hoses and all this crazy stuff going on with you. And like, we supposedly have it so much better. And they were like, wouldn't want to be dealing with this now. Really? I mean, that's yeah, so we just need to realize that we do have big problems and heavy things that we're we're trying to do, and it's we're talking about systems and <laughs> and things that have been ingrained for you know hundreds of years, so it's not it's not easy work, and we all need to take the wins where we see them and just keep doing what we can and play the small ball and do it in our lives, right
0: you know i want I just <laughs> want I just want uh to know what to do to make it better. I think the frustration is that we don't know. Like, we all see the problem. We see what... And and when I say the problem, I'm talking about the people who are refusing to implement the things that the people who understand the issues say will improve the problems right we know what those experts say we should do but there are people who are opposing it and i don't know how to untie that knot i just want to know what to do in order to untie that knot and then we'll work towards it right we'll 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 have a goal and we can do it but it's like those situations are so ridiculous we don't even know what to do
2: uh, there's an amazing, amazing stat here um, in in Minnesota where that when they that some social scientists asked people um, people of color and white people in different work settings, um, how many you know black friends, how many white friends do you have, mm-hmm. and you know everybody gives similar answers, you know from the same offices. But then they ask the question, how often do you go to dinner at a person of a different race or ethnicity's house, and invariably. Invariably, white people—you know—the white respondents reported almost never. Mm. Um, it, I think it was less than like one instance per per year or something, as opposed to the people of color who have a few, right? Because you know it's the majority, and you're you're going. So I think that's one of those ways. Again, like that's one of those stats when I hear it, where I'm like, how is that possible? Like you're going to dinner in friends' houses and stuff, right? If you're not doing that, you know, let's let's try and do those things because yeah. the word you used was understanding. And the more we understand each other and the more comfortable we are with each other, um, plus you get to eat good then too, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to get at those tables. So I, I think that's one of the greatest ways is to break bread and just have conversation. and And again, don't try to solve all the world's problems, right? We just have to do what we can do and not get overwhelmed by it even though it is overwhelming.
0: You know, I was thinking as you were talking, I don't have a lot of black friends. Um, I don't know what the, you know, the the number of black people is in, in France or, but there are a lot of immigrants and there are a lot of, you know, there are neighborhoods. I grew up in a very white neighborhood. Um, and I, I kind of can play on the, I'm an immigrant myself, card, and I come from Lebanon and my family is Middle Eastern. So, I, But still, the reality is I grew up very French, very white, uh privileged class friends, uh, even if we ourselves didn't have a huge amount of money. Um But I don't have black friends, very few. I, I know a, a couple of uh, uh people through my online activities, but I don't think forget about once a year, I don't think I've ever <laughs> been to a, a black person's house for dinner. Ever. That's like a, a strange... real, And it's not that surprising because I don't know many black people, but right. it's a weird realization. Now and, uh, we
1: know what your homework is.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Gunner... you got any uh, good soul food restaurants where I, you are? I, or I, when you get I, to the I,
1: States, we'll get you out. Whenever...
0: Yeah, whenever planes fly again i'm i'm showing up at your doorstep <laughs> there you um, go um yeah it's
2: uh your your meal is much more likely to be be very white if you come to my home but uh you know my mom's <laughs> white my dad's black i'll just say and and yeah i i my wife is is white and um swedish actually so <laughs> you're much more right. likely to get the same not food your yet. home yeah, we gotta get you I, but we'll, get, yeah, we'll get, to you, we'll place, get you, you somewhere good all right we'll get you somewhere good
0: yeah all right uh but yeah i think understanding, and conversations. All of this would be so much easier if you just... As, as you said, don't try to solve the world's problems, but just sit down and have a chat about, I don't know, the latest Marvel movie and, you know, yeah, the latest Don't do game that. The play. Eternals
2: is getting horrible ratings. We don't want to talk about I, that. I
0: actually liked it a <laughs> oh, little oh, bit. Did Spider-Man okay. Spider-Man's coming
1: it. out very soon. There we go. Yeah, there no, we spoilers.
0: go. no spoilers. No spoilers. See? that We could do that. We could do that. Have a <laughs> sitting... And that would... Because understanding would seep through all of those things, I think. through mm-hmm. just yeah. Anyway, all right. I think I. I, think... I
1: just want to say one yeah. one thing on, on the subject before we wrap up. Um, as as a you know white heterosexual male in his early forties, I I take all the boxes. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm not neurotypical, so you know I, I have ADHD, so so I, I can at least you know take take that we put an X in that box. But uh, the the one thing that I've learned over the years is um, I I can never be a a leader in any of these movements in in any way. I can only be an ally and um, I I should never try to lead. I should never try to impose, you know, what I think is right for the the, uh, equality movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, the um, hetero, homo, trans, etc. movement. Um, I can only be an ally to the people who are oppressed. Um, I can only listen to what they want me to do, what they think I should do, uh, what they think I um, uh, ought to be doing, and so on, uh, rather than try to impose my will on, on them. Um, and I think that's a very important lesson that I've learned over the years, and uh, one that I think a lot more people need to learn.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's a good point. That's a good point. I, that, I like to do podcasts. I like to talk. I like to hear myself talk, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's also something that I I, ha- I have had to learn to be aware of. So that's a, a very good point. You and me both. All right, let's wrap it up, um, Brecky. Where do we get more from you on the internet?
1: Um. Nowhere, really. Um, I've, I've, when I took oh, a sabbatical from podcasting, I, I took a sabbatical from basically everything online. Really? Yeah. Um, you're the, not, the you're not thing, on
0: Twitter anymore.
1: Uh, I, I still have my account, and I still yeah. reply to tweets every so often, but I, I don't post anything. Um, I oh, post I every so often wrecking. on Instagram and so on. <laughs> um, most of my online activity is either just one-on-one conversations on Telegram or something. Um, or um things that I'm doing development for. I do a lot of um coding for Minecraft mods and um, website programming and so on. i'm I'm the CTO of a company and also their lead developer. So um, yeah, most most of my attention just goes to um, whatever's going on on my GitHub repositories <laughs> nowadays. So
0: how's how's it been working out for you? The no social interaction? I mean, no social networks.
1: Thing. Surprisingly well, actually. Yeah. I, I think it's a relief. Uh, I, I hardly even follow the news anymore um, because I don't oh, I'm so find them right now. <laughs> impressive or interesting. Um if anything interesting happens in the world, I'm sure that one of the friends that I communicate with on a day-to-day basis will tell me. Um other than that, I, I just don't go out looking for bad news anymore.
0: I completely understand that. At the same time, I feel like it's a a a it's almost like the bad people win because then the people who can afford to not look at the news don't, and like whatever. Yeah, and I want to do that but too. It,
1: it it's a it's such an interesting thing though because I I mean I did a lot of tech podcasting back in the days. I had a daily tech news podcast right. <laughs> that I did, and or daily geek culture podcast and so on. But the um the other year, I think it was twenty nineteen, could have been twenty twenty. Uh, a friend of mine said, "Like, hey, did you hear the news uh, that came out at uh, the Worldwide Developer Conference, Apple's WWDC?" And I was like, "Oh, they had one." <laughs> Whereas usually I would be like sitting in front of my computer with the uh, with the Safari open, yeah. watching it, two Twitter tabs open, watching the reactions and everything. But now it was like, "Oh, they had one of those." Oh, interesting. What did they say? And uh, it it kind of stumped me afterwards. Going, "Huh? When did this change? What happened? When did I stop following things?" Yeah. Interesting. Um, but anyway, I'm on Twitter, so at Breckyt. Uh, otherwise, uh, I'm on Instagram, at Brecky. Um, not a lot of interesting things going on, but every so often you might see a picture of one of my dogs.
0: That seems like a wonderful program. So it uh, is. Gunnar,
2: uh, what about you? Yeah, Um. boy, I want to be Brecky, But uh, you can find <laughs> me online. Um, I'm on Instagram, at Adventures. Um, just like it sounds. And then you can reach me on at by email at CigarAdventures at gmail.com. All right. Excellent. Uh, and
0: if you feel like listening to uh, the previous episode where Gunner was uh, on, it's episode 150. It's a special where we talk about the life in Minneapolis. And uh, it was pretty interesting. All right. Thank you both. For me, it's uh, NotPatrick, NotPatrick.com. You can find me on social networks at NotPatrick pretty much everywhere. And there's also a link to our Discord at NotPatrick.com, where it's mostly in French, but we do have an English corner where you can uh, hang out and chat about stuff. There's a fun community over there. Thank you both. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.